Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On today's episode, we are talking about retraining the nervous system to help heal stress eating and disordered eating with Elizabeth Kristoff. Elizabeth is a certified applied neurology practitioner and the founder of Brain-Based Wellness, a online platform that trains the nervous system and body to resolve old patterns, improve performance, and increase well-being. So before we get into it, what is brain-based wellness? So what it is is rewiring the brain to reduce the perceived threat to the nervous system, which turns on your stress response, and then this helps mitigate the physical effects of the body on a chronically activated fight or flight system. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about how stress eating comes directly from the nervous system response and how retraining your brain and the central nervous system can help us get to the root of stress eating, emotional eating, and disordered eating. We're also talking about what happens to the nervous system and our stress response in response to dieting and food restriction and how all of this relates to overwork and burnout. I'm so excited to nerd out about the nervous system because, as I told you before we started recording, one of my favorite things to talk about. So before we get into all of that, I know that you love practicing in the realm of brain-based wellness. So can you tell the listeners a little bit more about you? What is brain-based wellness and how did you get into it? Yeah. So my name is Elizabeth. I'm the founder of an online platform called Brain-Based Wellness, where we train the nervous system to heal deficits in the nervous system and to also learn tools for self-regulation so that people can be more resilient and take a really body-based approach to changing their behavior, to feeling better and to experiencing different outcomes in their life, whether those outcomes are pain or chronic fatigue or um, binge eating or constant cycling through diet culture, all of these I I look at through the lens of, of the nervous system. And I'm an applied neurology practitioner, a functional neurology practitioner, and I've been studying functional neurology since about 2015. And I used to use it really for athletic performance and for pain management. So I had a couple movement studios, Pilates studios here in Austin, Texas. And for a long time, I started studying the nervous system in terms of athletics and studied with a company called Z Health Education. And they are really the only big applied neurology institute here in the US. And I learned about how everything that we experience in our body is, is an output of our nervous system. And that a lot of the stuff that my clients were dealing with in terms of pain or limitations in range of motion were just protective responses of their brain when it felt like it was under too much threat. And for a long time, I, I used applied neurology in that context. And then I really went through a period of my own life where I was under a tremendous amount of stress. I 
dissolved my partnership shares in my business. My romantic partner at the time was diagnosed with cancer and I went into being a full-time caretaker for him. So I kind of lost my community. I lost my purpose and went into this really stressful situation with him. And, um, and a lot of my own unresolved childhood trauma and emotions started coming back to me and my own outputs of my nervous system got really severe. My binge eating got really severe dissociation, chronic pain, a lot of chronic fatigue. And I started looking at myself through the lens of applied neurology. And if, if my athletic performance was a result of my nervous system, maybe all these other outputs were too. And I started thinking about how to use applied neurology, how to use functional neurology, not just for athletic performance, but for behavior change to resolve trauma, to experience a new output of, of well-being and felt sense inside of our body. And from that long rabbit hole of healing, that was really where brain-based wellness came from. And that's the system that that I work with today. It is so fascinating. And I, I love looking at everything from a whole body approach and really like as stemming from the nervous system, right? Because so many times we're trying to fix these, what could be surface level issues with surface level solutions, right? People will try like any elimination diet or they'll just try and go to the gym or they'll just try and take supplements. But it's like, okay, well, well, no matter what is going on, we have to get to where it is coming from in the first place. And for a lot of these situations, it is stemming much, much deeper than the symptoms that you're experiencing, right, as a result of those root causes. So one of the things that I saw on your website is how you talk a lot about how past trauma creates habitual responses in our nervous system and brain and how dieting and restriction can be interpreted by the body as a trauma response. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So one of the things that I think is really important to understand is that at the level of our nervous system and our body, our brain's primary job and talking about our, our old brain, our brainstem, our autonomic nervous system is our survival. And it is always taking in the information and making a decision safe or unsafe, and then producing an output in response to that decision. And so those outputs will be protective or they will be more performance. So protective output would be anything that gets you to interact with the world less to reduce the amount of stimulus that's coming in and to keep you safe according to your brain and your nervous system at that point. So that could be pain. That could be fatigue. It could be depression, even so anything that's going to get you a migraine to go lay down in bed, pull the covers over your head and reduce the amount of stimulus and interaction that's coming in because in that moment you're safer. And so I, I started to look at all of these outputs as, as my brain's best bet to either get the stimulus that it needs or to get the tools for regulation that it needs in the moment. And my whole life, I have experienced binge eating. And then, uh, you know, as, as far back as I can remember. And, um, I, and then also that led me into, into cycles of then deprivation and overtraining. And it was just this loop that I couldn't get out of. And you know, when I was 24, I got sober and I developed a meditation practice and I had a lot of mindfulness tools, but I could not get out of that loop, out of that diet culture, out of the binge eating loop. And 
it wasn't until I had that real collapse and all of these behaviors and, and the negative thought loops and the perfectionism and everything got cranked up really loud too, as, as well as the binge eating that I began to understand that binge eating was my brain's best bet at survival at that time. So when we eat a bunch of food, we give stimulus to some really important nerves and, and systems in the body. The vagus nerve gets a big boost of stimulus. The celiac plexus gets a big boost of stimulus. And when we have a lot of trauma or chronic stress for a long period of time, we can get stuck in a state of hypervigilance in a state of overly sympathetic nervous system response, too much fight and flight, too much adrenaline, and especially too much cortisol pumping out all of the time. And this is dangerous. It's dangerous for our body because too much cortisol starts to damage your nerves. It damages your vessels and can cause real dysregulation in the system and leads to a, a disease state inside of the body, a state that is ripe for developing disease, autoimmune disease, cancer, all these other issues. And at a deep level, our, our brain and our nervous system know that. And so our brain will do what it needs to do to get us to move out of that state, to get us to re-regulate ourselves and upregulate the, the parasympathetic, the calm and respond, the rest and digest. And so at this automatic level, my brain was protecting me with those binges. I have a lot of childhood trauma. My ACE score is pretty high, which stands for adverse childhood experience. And and I used food as a tool to help move me out of that high stress state. Um, you know, not consciously, but at the level of, of my subconscious and, and the protective part of my brain. And I had this real moment of gratitude where I was flooded with my body's ability to be able to regulate itself in that way. And I was thankful that I had food as a tool because I've known other people with similar amounts of trauma that had very different outcomes because they didn't have food for a tool for self-regulation. They got really sick. They had mental health collapse. And I've always been able to be a pretty high functioning person in society. And so I realized in order to break this cycle, this restriction, this binge eating, not only did I have to like give up diet culture and practice intuitive eating, which is all so, so important. And at the cognitive level, yes, absolutely. We have to start to dismantle those systems inside of ourselves. But I also had to find new tools for regulation because I couldn't take that behavior away from myself without giving myself another way to, to calm the system and to regulate. I think this is a really important topic to dive into because so much of the really popular and like clickbaity rhetoric on social media is like, oh, you know, diet culture sucks and like just ditch diet culture and, you know, like stop your binging, stop the emotional eating from really all sides, right? And just really looking for solutions to those without looking at those as a coping tool, right? Whenever I'm working with clients or when we're talking on the podcast, it's like, okay, the emotional eating, the stress eating, the binge eating itself is not actually the problem. It's a signal that something deeper is going on and we're using it as a tool to get us, whether it's cognitively, emotionally, physically, out of that situation in kind of an out-of-body experience of, oh, I can focus on this so I don't have to focus on something else, whether it's dissociative or distracting or whatever it is, right? So we always, always want to make sure that if we are, like you said, if we are taking away that tool of dieting or restricting or binging or whatever it is, and we need to look at them as tools, right? 
we need to substitute it with something else. And right, this is why I love having this conversation of like, just ditching diet culture isn't enough, right? Just learning intuitive eating isn't enough. We have to go so much deeper, whether it's on a clinical level of discovering where your symptoms are coming from, from like a hormonal imbalance or a gut bacteria imbalance or something else. Or if it's, you know, your ACE score is really high and you've got past childhood trauma or you've got current trauma from living in a global pandemic, right? Like, If binge eating, restricting any of these are tools that you're using to try and get out of that situation or feel better, if you take those tools away and there's nothing left, you could end up with something even more destructive. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I really agree. And I, I found it so painful for myself. And I've seen this in a lot of my clients too, that, you know, they, they do get to a place where they're fed up with diet culture and it, practicing intuitive eating and, and they still can't stop the behavior of binge eating. And it gets really painful and frustrating because you're like, okay, I'm doing the work to, to bake in these new beliefs and, um, it's, it, it can feel very hopeless until you have some tools to address what's going on at the level of your physiology and your nervous system as well. And, and also too, when I stopped engaging in the binge eating and, and tried to also, you know, when I, when the negative thought loops that was, it was all baked in together, right. Hebb's law neurons that fire together, wire together. And so some of those thought loops and obsessive loops are also baked in with the behavior. So I engage in the behavior and it automatically triggers the new loop of the internal critic. And it's just this vicious cycle. Right. And as I started to try to interrupt that, and allow the emotions to come up that were underneath, allow myself to process maybe some of the grief, some of the rage. It was actually very threatening for my body. And I have autoimmune disease and I started to get really bad eczema. I started to experience pain. I would get really nauseous and I I hadn't yet made it safe for myself inside of my body to deal with that. And so that can be really discouraging as well. So it's just a matter of also learning really practical tools to work with the nervous system so that you can create that sense of safety inside of your body and then do this other work of emotional processing, of changing behavior, of, of creating a new way of being. Right. So what if people are trying to find their way through this muddy process, right? We're starting to peel back the layers and realizing the tools that we've been using really just were tools and we're trying to figure out other ones. But your body is giving you some resistance, like you said, with autoimmune disease, eczema. I'm sure people listening to this podcast If they've listened for a while, they've got gut issues, they've got adrenal issues, burnout, hormone issues, right? This is kind of like the main things that we see here. What are some of the signals that their bodies might be sending them that they're still in protective mode? That's a great question. And I think it's one of the very most important places to start with is just starting to read the signals that your body is sending you. And so our body is always talking to us and it will speak more quietly in the beginning. And then when we don't listen to it, it's going to get louder, right? Until we do something about it to change our behavior or it just shuts us down entirely, right? We dissociate, we pass out, we get really sick. So Um, one of the things that I start with my clients is just taking a few seconds to start to drop from your head down into your body and trying to read the internal signals. And for some people that's that in and of itself, even just for 30 seconds is really threatening. So I might find a neuro drill. We learn lots of different exercises that are basically just giving your nervous system, the stimulus that it needs to upregulate the parasympathetic system or to have a calm response. So maybe it's as simple as like taking a straw 
straw breath, breathing in through your nose, breathing out through your mouth, like you're breathing out of a straw and making your exhalation twice as long as your inhalation. Or maybe it's doing some tongue circles, just running your tongue over your teeth, making a big circle with your tongue going a little further back each time and giving your vagus nerve a little bit of stimulus by moving your tongue. So something very simple that your nervous system responds well to, and then dropping in and just being curious, seeing if you can feel as many sensations as possible in your body. Can you feel your ribs expand and contract with your breath? Can you feel anything happening in your stomach? How does it feel in your throat? And then as we start to cultivate that skill of interception, of, of hearing those signals, then can we start to make it a daily practice of hearing them? And then start to get curious about the signals that were being sent before the behavior that we want to move out of, right? A lot of times it's too hard to interrupt the behavior initially. We just don't have the skill for it yet. So what I had to do was allow myself to do the thing, allow myself to binge, allow myself to go get shut down. And then afterwards, track it back and say, what was I experiencing right before that? Maybe I had a little bit of pain in my left knee. Maybe I had some tightness in my jaw. Maybe I had tension between my eyes. Everybody's signals are a little bit different depending on their pain pathways and their bodies held tension. But if I can start to teach myself to recognize those softer signals, then when I experience them, I can say next time, oh, my left knee is starting to hurt a little bit. My body is sending me a signal that I'm moving into threat. I'm exceeding my capacity. Can I stop right now and do something that my nervous system responds well to, whether that's jumping on my trampoline or taking a walk out in nature or doing some neural exercises, maybe some vision training exercises or tongue movements that my body likes. And can I bring it back into a lower threat response before it escalates? into that place where I'm sitting on the kitchen floor, eating the cold can of beans and wondering like, how the hell did I get here? You know? So can I interrupt it before I get to that extreme state of dysregulation? And the more I do that, the better I get at interrupting it because whatever we do, we get better at. That's a neurological principle too. And so the more I can interrupt that cycle, the more I can interrupt that loop and give my nervous system the stimulus that it needs, the less it moves into that response habitually. This is so important to talk about and to draw attention to the fact that uh, this shit is hard, <laughs> right? Like hard. this does not happen overnight, right? Even if you're listening to this amazing episode with Elizabeth today and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got my pad and paper. I've got my phone out. I'm taking notes, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. Even if you implemented every single one of these tools, it's still important to know that the behaviors that we're using as coping tools are probably still going to pop up, right? One of the things that I really like to talk about with clients is that one of the ways that we know that we are making progress on this journey is that these things come fewer and farther in between. It's not necessarily that they're stopping entirely because if our goal is to never ever binge eat again, if then you binge eat one time, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. And we go, we feel like we go right back to square one, right? That is a very all or nothing dieting type mentality. So if we're trying to move away from perfectionism and people pleasing and all of that stuff, and you're really trying to rewire and retrain your brain to be more gentle and give yourself more compassion, which are two of the very important tools on this journey, right, of learning to understand yourself is 
we have to be a little bit more gentle and not expect that it's going to be this all or nothing clear delineation of I'm never doing this again. We're trying to learn to incorporate more tools into our toolbox that you can use if this situation arises or if like Elizabeth said, if you start to notice, like every time that this happens, you'll start to notice more signals of, oh, like this is one step before the coping skill happens. Oh, this is two steps before. This is three steps before. Eventually, you'll gather so much information from these binges or these episodes or whatever these tools are that you'll be able to identify it like four or five steps before it even happens. And then you can decide once you've gotten more of these tools, okay, if I can stop here, I can use some of the tools that I've acquired instead of only defaulting to that one tool that I was all I knew how to do before. Yeah. I tell my clients if 50% of the time you can interrupt the behavior and do some neural exercises and do maybe some somatic work to move through the emotion or whatever it is that's trying to be expressed. Um, because, I think there's two main reasons that we move into the, that, you know, extreme, extreme binging is we're either trying to regulate ourselves when we're dysregulated, or there's something that we're using it as a distraction from as a suppressed, a, a deeply suppressed emotion, because we live in such an emotionally negative society. And we're taught from such an early age that it's maybe not safe to express certain emotions like anger, like grief. And so they're, they're very deep down in there and our body will do a lot of stuff to keep us from experiencing that. And so and 50% of the time you can either use something else to regulate yourself or do a somatic process to let that emotion come through, or maybe even like a page purge or something like that. That is, that's a hundred percent win 50% of the time, and it will start to change the behavior enough and full transparency. There are times where I still rely on food as a, as a self-soothing mechanism. And that's okay. Like the difference today is that there's there's none of the shame spiral afterwards. It's just, I, then I just pick myself up. I re-regulate and I, it, the severity of the binges are much less intense so that I'm not hurting myself as much. It's not as painful afterwards. And just like you said, as it gets further, fewer and further between, and the intensity of the episodes is less, then that's amazing. And if sometimes I rely on that behavior because I'm expanding my life and I'm pushing myself in another way, and I'm experiencing a lot of stress or some big emotions, like that's okay too. It's not the end of the world. Right. Exactly. So, okay. To reiterate for people, right? We've been talking a lot about binge eating or eating coping strategies like stress eating as an output of the nervous system, right? So giving a new framework for like, where does this come from, right? Always approaching this from a root cause approach rather than a, oh, well, you need to just stop craving those things or you need to just stop emotional eating. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's happening for a reason. Where's it coming from, right? So let's talk a little bit more about how specifically or practically or wherever you'd like to go with this, how retraining our brain and retraining our central nervous system can help us get to the root of that stress eating or emotional eating or disordered eating. Yes. So couple, there's a couple ways to think about it. So one is that at the heart of a lot of disordered eating is interceptive dysfunction. And so your interceptive system is just a part of your nervous system that tells your brain what's going on inside of your body. This is what's happening in your organs. This is your internal temperature. This is your heart 
rate, all of that information is being relayed up to your brain. Um, uh, the vagus nerve is a huge part of that system. It gives your brain a lot of that information and then your brain takes in that information. It interprets it. And then it, again, it produces an output, right? So it decides safe or unsafe, and it does something to keep you regulated and, and to maintain homeostasis in, in the body or to prepare the adequate response for whatever the situation is at hand. And so there's a lot of research that shows that at the root of PTSD, especially complex PTSD and disordered eating is interceptive dysfunction. There's problems in that system. And not only are we not able to read the signals that are coming from inside of our body, which definitely if we've been trapped in diet culture for a lot of our life, we've lost some of the ability to read our own internal signals and that's damaging to our interceptive system. But so not only are we not able to read the signals inside our own body, but we aren't able to accurately interpret them either. So there's this idea of interceptive accuracy, which is your brain's predicting the right amount of threat, the right amount of um, response to the stimulus that it's getting from inside of your body. And so when we have a problem with interceptive accuracy, it looks like waking up with your heart already racing, with your palms sweating, with that sense of threat, that felt sense of like impending doom coming down on you. Well, it's the same day as the day before. Nothing is actually happening to threaten your life, but your brain is misreading the amount of threat coming from the signals inside of your body. And so part of nervous system training and what I work on a lot with my food clients and my complex trauma clients is retraining that interceptive system, not only to, not only to read the signals that are coming from within the body, but to interpret those signals with the appropriate response, interceptive accuracy. And so there's a lot of training for the vagus nerve, a lot of stimulus for the vagus nerve, which is a really key player in that system. There's a lot of respiration training. Most of us are hyperventilators. We take too many breaths per minute, and that's constantly elevating the threat level that our nervous system is under. There's a lot of pelvic floor training and diaphragm stimulus and all of these, these deep internal muscles and being able to connect to those areas of the body. And then a lot of stuff like tongue movement and uh, cranial nerve stimulus that all help parts of our brain, especially our insular cortex, get more activation. And so if we can start to get better at feeling the signals inside of our body, but also interpreting them, that makes a huge difference in our ability to have a greater sense of well-being, a felt sense of well-being, and have the appropriate response to triggers. Awesome. Thank you for explaining that. So how does this process, we've talked about this with like chronic stress, right? How does this process play out with like overworking and then please explain to people what shutdown is? So I think overworking is a classic trauma response, right? That perfectionism, that need to constantly be doing, it's another distractive mechanism from feeling our big emotions. And it's also a way to create safety, right? For years and years and years in my life, I was stuck in this cycle of overworking, running myself into the ground, and then completely crashing, getting shut down in bed for two or three days with a migraine, with nausea, so heavy, feeling like I couldn't stand up. And I just 
couldn't stop because I couldn't stop the overworking in the first place, right? Like there's no way to stop the binge eating and the chronic fatigue if I can't stop the overworking that comes in front of it. And the entire thing is because I don't feel safe. I'm trying to manufacture my safety outside of myself because I have that felt sense inside of myself all of the time that I'm, that something is wrong, that I'm not really safe. And so overworking, is in order to break out of that cycle and to be able to rest and to set appropriate boundaries with our work, we first have to start to create that sense of safety inside of ourselves. And so a lot of that comes from being able to sit into our body, being able to sit with the sensations that we're feeling inside of ourselves. And then I do a lot of training for the different input systems of the nervous system, like your eyes, like the balance system in your inner ear, like your body mapping system. So that your brain is on a second by second basis, getting better quality information from all of these input systems. When the information coming in is clearer and better, your nervous system feels safer on a second by second basis, doing its primary job, which is making predictions and generating an output to keep you alive. So as we train those systems, the overall stress level that your nervous system is under comes down and then you feel that sense of internal pressure to try to create safety in your life less because you feel better inside of yourself. And then a lot of the work that I do with my clients that are stuck in these cycles of, you know, hypervigilance and workaholism go really well together. And as you're stuck in that cycle, it actually feels life-threatening to take a week off of work. Or like I, I, I used to get really stuck I, I couldn't rest. I just couldn't rest. I, I, I didn't have the ability to do it. And nighttime was very stressful for me. I couldn't sleep well. It felt scary. And so what I have to do is around my resting, I do neural drills before I go to bed that calm my nervous system down, that upregulate my parasympathetic system so that it becomes safe to sleep. And then I use somatic processes like EFT tapping or somatic movement to process through some of the fear and the stress and neutralize that threat response that comes from resting so that it then becomes possible to take actions, to block out a vacation, to not schedule clients, to set appropriate boundaries with work. And, but I have to regulate myself around doing that because until I do, even though cognitively, I know I want to do those things, it can feel really scary to do that. Um, I have identified with almost every single one of those things, at least at some point in my life. So listeners, if you're like, oh my God, that's me, you're not alone, right? This is so common in people, especially if you are an entrepreneur, if you've got a side hustle, if you've got a family, you like everybody in every, you know, box or bucket of life has definitely experienced this at some point, right? And I, I love your idea of, you know, even if you feel like you have a lower stress period of your life and you're like, oh my gosh, I should be doing more. I should be doing more. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Those feelings that you feel like you should be doing more are a very good signal that this is something we should check in on, right? Like yay for therapy, <laughs> going to check in on stuff like this. Yeah. Totally. Yes. I love this conversation so, so much because 
not only are we giving people practical tools, but it's like, oh my gosh, this might be, you know, checking a lot of the boxes for people and kind of putting a lot of links together for people, especially the workaholics out there, the perfectionists out there, which this kind of type A personality type goes so well to tie it back to the stress eating, the emotional eating, you know, the all or nothing mentality, which drives us to dieting and restriction, right? Because if you are someone who identifies as a busy person, if you constantly feel like you need to be doing stuff like this, we also get into this decision fatigue, especially if you feel like, oh, I have to be doing stuff all the time. Then when it comes to making decisions around things like food or movement or whatever, it's like, I just want somebody to tell me what to do so that I don't have to think about it. And this isn't something that I have to stress over. And then it brings us way back to the beginning of this conversation when we're talking about fight or flight and just feeling totally overworked and then shutting down. And what we need is some rewiring of our belief system and our neural pathways. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no way to move out of using food as a tool for self-regulation if you're constantly dysregulating yourself through putting yourself into really high stress situations. Work. Like you, you can't change the behavior if the, if the cause doesn't change too. And like I have one client in my uh, food freedom program right now who decided that she was going to take a week off once a quarter, you know, cognitively we've worked through the belief of, of stepping out of the hustle culture and that, that she didn't want to spend all of her vacation time shut down and binge watching Netflix. But in order to do that, she needed more rest time. So we scheduled in one week, a quarter where she's going to take that week off and not book clients and it's on the calendar. And then what happened was she started experiencing a ton of pain in her body. All her joints started hurting. She started getting migraines. And I realized like, Hey, we haven't regulated around this new action. So you took the action, but your body and your nervous system do not feel safe with you setting these boundaries and scheduling this rest time. And so we had to make sure that we were doing really high payoff neural drills for her before and after taking the action. When she would have the difficult conversation with the client of like, I'm not taking clients that week afterwards, do some cranial nerve resets, do some respiration training, give yourself some sensory stimulus and keep teaching your body that it's safe to take this new action so that then she can create a life that isn't constantly pushing her into the state where she needs food to self-regulate the stress eating, the emotional eating, but also creating that life isn't so stressful that it then causes unwanted outputs of the nervous system like pain or binge eating. Right. And it's so important to talk about that part of the process too, right? It's not like as soon as you realize all this stuff and you get some tools, you're like, well, it's going to be all sunshine and daisies from here, right? Even making steps in a positive direction that in the long term will be more beneficial to your nervous system may seem like threats in the short term, right? So make sure if you're going to start doing some of this rewiring stuff, don't try and do it on your own, right? Just like I say, listeners, please, when I say this about gut health, I say it about, you know, unlearning diet culture and everything, like don't do it on your own. Like please get some kind of help because Doing it on your own, it also goes along so well with this personality trait. Like we all think we need to just go into fix it mode and figure it out on our own. Your stress bucket is full enough as it is, right? Like let's bring it down, outsource if possible, get somebody who's a professional in this field like Elizabeth and hire them and then have them walk you through the steps. So 
not only is that one less thing that you have to figure out and try and fix it yourself and work your way through it, but it's also something that in the long term will be a huge burden lifted off of your nervous system, off of your body. And will also, I mean, we've been talking about symptoms, you know, intermittently here and stuff too. This is one of the things where when I work with clients and if we've done the gut stuff, we've done a whole lot of other stuff and they're like, you know, I'm still having symptoms. It's like, okay, it's deeper. This is a nervous system problem here, right? And whether it's because the symptoms themselves are causing you to be in chronic sympathetic activation or it's working the other way or both, we need to outsource and see where is this coming from? You know, is it going in both directions? Is it mostly one direction and maybe a little bit the other way? But it's really helpful to get some outside support here because trying to fix all of your own stuff is one near impossible and you can't see the whole picture when it's just you. Absolutely. I mean, I study this stuff and I still have a whole team of people that I rely on to help me with my health. I have a somatic therapist. I have a functional nutritionist. I, you know, I work with my own team to walk me through my belief work and me through the own processes that I do because you need support. You need outside help and it's, it's worth it. I really encourage people to, to invest in yourself and your healing because the whole experience of the world changes when you're when you're healthy. Well, speaking of outside health and support, <laughs> please tell people all of the places that they can come find you on Instagram, your website, all of the places. Yeah, so the best place to find me is through my website, which is brainbased dash wellness.com. And you can sign up actually for a free video series there that will teach you how to assess and reassess your nervous system's response to things like what's affecting you positively and what's affecting you negatively. How do you tell? And then it'll teach you five really simple neural exercises that a lot of my clients use to help them move out of that stress state, to start to interrupt the binge, to interrupt the stress cycle. And it's a really great starting place for free, just to feel the work in your body and and see how you respond to it. And then you can reach out to me there with any questions or anything that you have from that. And then you can also find me on Instagram at E-L Kristoff, K-R-I-S-T-O-F. And I post lots of little videos and stuff like that there too. Awesome. That sounds so exciting. I can't wait to go check that out for myself. So I'm sure other people want to go check it out too. I would love for you to come check it out. Uh, I will be there after we finish this interview today. (laughs) But seriously, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on. This is a really fun conversation. I know the listeners will love it too. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor to be here. friends and thanks for listening to today's episode of wholehearted eating if you'd like to support the show we would really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast whether it's apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher wherever it is we would love you forever for it if you want to find either me dana or christina on instagram you can find us at dana monsies underscore cns or Christina at Christina Hoyt Nutrition. You can find both of us at wholeheartedeating.com where you'll find more about our courses and how you can work with us one-on-one if you are interested. And as always, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer on the show or if you have any feedback, please email us at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.